Hello, beautiful people. You are listening to the Communal Table Podcast, part of Food & Wine Pro. I'm your host, Kat Kinsman, Senior Editor at Food & Wine. When city planner and architect Adrian Lipscomb visited a cafe in Eau Claire, Wisconsin for a business meeting, little did she know that she'd end up moving her family all the way up from Austin, Texas, running the cafe herself, and revitalizing a whole section of the city. And if running a restaurant during a pandemic isn't a full-time plus job already, Lipscomb also developed an initiative, the 40 Acres and a Mule Project, to preserve, research, and celebrate Black foodways and support Black land ownership. She also makes hundreds of free meals for families in need. And during the pandemic, she got certified as a sake expert. Lipscomb took time from her busy schedule to talk about all of that, as well as what's going on in her native Texas, spoiler alert, plenty, what farmers are up against during this time, and how she ended up with 40 avocado plants in her home. Ah, Adrian, thank you for making time today. Tell me where you are right now, please. I am... Physically, I am at my restaurant in La Crosse, <laughs> And emotionally. <laughs> and, and emotionally, I am at home in my bed. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay, so you were saying you just finished up family oil. Can you talk about, and you're covered in spaghetti. Tell me about this. Yeah, <laughs> or is that just um, like how you live your life, covered in spaghetti? Um, it just depends. If I'm at home, I'm covered in spaghetti. Usually. <laughs> um, but, yeah, we do uh, buy one, give one. So we allow the community um, – we do meal kits and so we allow the community to purchase meal kits but they're also allowed if they want to to purchase another meal kit for a family in need that's in need for a meal and so right now we're wrapping up the meals that we'll be giving away um we work with the boys and girls club um with the families and so we drop them off at the boys and girls club and the families are able to pick up a meal that they're able to warm up and one of the reasons why we jumped at this opportunity was because you just think about being around the table with your family and at this time what we're going through right now it you know who really has time to think about that right so uh, (laughs) so one of the things is is that you know school's back in session and and one thing that we really wanted to do was to give a warm meal because a lot of meals that are given away are not warm so this was our opportunity to offer a main meal for dinner that they could take home and warm up and have with their family that is lovely. So when did you start doing that? Um, this will be our second month doing it. Um, we started just by a community member came and bought a gift card and anonymously gave it to our police department. And our police department can't accept those kinds of gifts. <laughs> right. And so they came back to us and they were like, you know, what can we do? And we worked with the community officers um, that knew some families that were in need. And I said, well, we can do more. And, you know, I said, bring me as many families as you can. I will cover the cost this time around. And then we're going to offer it to the community to see if they're willing to, you know, jump in and help uh, pay for meals for families. And how many meals have you done at this point? Oh, my gosh. I don't know. I've lost (laughs) I have absolutely no idea. Usually uh, we run, you know, we're a small town, so I usually run about um, feeding them between 80 to 100 people a week. So, you know, as long as we know, you know, we're, we're a small restaurant, we're giving, we're giving back to our community and we're able to help whatever skills we can do, we're going to do it. And if somebody want, who is listening to this wanted to help pay for this, how could they do that? 
Oh my gosh. So, you know, we're very old fashioned here. <laughs> um, there's, a, there's a couple of ways you can do it. You can go online onto uptowncafe.com and under our orders is community meals. And you have the opportunity to, if you're in our area, to pick up a meal for yourself, but also donate one. Or if you're not in our area, you can just donate a meal. That is lovely. And I, I want to go back to the fact that you said you were working with the police department for for this. And I'm really curious about this because this varies town by town, city by city, how how much you trust the police. And it, talk about that if you don't mind. Yeah, yeah you know, um, it's very interesting because I did get some pushback <laughs> for working I, with the police department. I, I was kind of wondering. Yeah. yeah, so we, you know, I did get some pushback and a lot of questions. And what it really came down to is, you know, the a community member gave a gift card to the police department in which the police department wanted to do good with the with the gift card, right? And so um, they brought me a couple families. I said, bring me more. And so I'm the one that brought in the Boys and Girls Club to get involved with, you know, are there families that are in need? That was the largest question, right? Mm -hmm. um, and they were like, yes. And so our police department were kind of our delivery men. You know, they, wow. they pick up the mills and they drop them off um, at the Boys and Girls Club. And those the people that we worked with were the community officers. So mm -hmm. those were the officers that were assigned for community outreach for uh, in certain areas in the city. Okay, and I'm not super familiar with your city. Can you? How long have you been there? Because I think you're from Texas, right? Yeah, I'm from San Antonio, and so and I'm in right now, like Wisconsin. So how about <laughs> did you pack a coat? Like how'd that change go? Uh, you need more than a coat when you come here. Oh my gosh. when you come here from the south. You need, right. you need a lot of layers. Um, but I'm in La Crosse, Wisconsin, which is this really cool area that's off the Mississippi river and it's in, it borders Minnesota. So I'm right on the edge. And this area is like, has a plethora of organic farms in the surrounding area. So a lot of farmers are organic and they call it the Cooley regional Valley area because of the terrain. So I'm not in a flat area. I have a lot of coolies and bluffs. So it's very scenic. I kind of tell people, um, in the fall, it kind of looks like those, um, those expensive car commercials when they're zooming through the mountains. <laughs> um, you know, I swear they they tape them through here because you got the, you got the river, you have the bluffs, you have, you know, the seasons, the different colors. Um, but one of the things that's so great about this area is it being organic. Um, I'm about 45 minutes away from organic Valley, the co-op, but I'm also surrounded by so many amazing things through foraging, wild mm -hmm. ricing. Um, I've discovered things that, you know, in Texas we can't do. We can't tap a maple tree. You know, <laughs> I, I was so excited to tap my first maple tree. You know, um, we're in one of the largest cranberry areas that um, for, for cranberries. Rhubarb is a weed. I didn't know that till moving here. You know, like there's just so many things and mushrooms i can't tell you the the variety of mushrooms you can find just just foraging um and so it's just it's, it's an amazing area i don't like to tell people about it really <laughs> i don't want them to come here but you know but do yeah i do want you to come here and it, it's, it's amazing for hiking it's amazing for trails um and you know you do have a really deep deep winter <laughs> 
I feel like the local tourism board should hire you if they haven't already. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but, but let's go back to the farms because you are heavily invested in farms and what that means and what ownership of land means. And you've got an incredible initiative around it. Would you please explain 40 Acres and a Mule? Yeah. So the 40 Acres project is, wow, it has turned into something I would have never expected it to be. But the 40 Acres project, its mission is to preserve the legacy of Black farmers and Black foodways. And so we have this huge initiative to buy land and all, and we say 40 acres, like romantically, you know, we love 40 acres and we want to really push the, the, I guess we want people to know that there's not that many black farmers. There's less than 2%. And that, that has been one of the most shocking things to have seen, but with the effect of COVID, and the amount of farms that are closing, I just couldn't fathom how many more farm black farmers are losing their land right now at this moment. And as COVID was hitting, was the optimal time, especially with farmers, because you know we're being contacted by farmers about what to grow. So a lot of farmers were already putting plants in the ground or getting ready to plant, and restaurants were closing. So this hit me really significantly because in my area, there's no black farmers. And um, in my county, in fact, there's no black farmers. Um, Mm -hmm. In Wisconsin, there's only 65 that I get as black farmers. And that's with 65,000 pieces of land that are identifying as farms. Yeah, I, I recently we have a piece coming up uh, in the April issue with Krista Scruggs, and she talks about how she's only the 18th black farmer in uh, in Vermont, and I forget how many thousands of farms there are in, in Vermont. But I was I was so shocked to hear these stats. Yeah, it's it's really shocking, and um, when you look back in history and you're wondering what happened and what what went wrong, it all starts making sense. Um, between all the way going back into slavery, looking at 40 acres, like with General Sherman, when he said 40 acres in the special order, um, special field order number 15 came out. So, you know, looking at that and giving lands to slaves. And then once Abraham Lincoln was assassinated and Johnson went in, the land was given back to the original owners. So, it, it, it was very, it's very terrifying to read what our ancestors have gone through to try to maintain or obtain land. And it's really terrifying presently what you have to go through to obtain and maintain land. Oh my God. Yes. I mean, there are uh, the hoops that a person has to jump through. And I mean, the, the red tape, the paperwork that, uh, you know, Krista was telling me about it's just absolute madness in it. And it seems like it's, it's, I mean, like so many things in this country set up to bar people. Well, it's what I find really interesting, you know, as an outsider, you know, billing as a chef or, you know, as a city planner or architecture. You are a million of these things. A million things. What I looked at is especially how you farm, right? A lot of farmers have to get a loan. 
and alone to change the agri the agriculture and the architecture of their land to to hopefully that they'll get a good crop right you know be it the weather be it natural disasters or whatnot what will happen and if they get a great crop does that mean their neighbors got great crop does it mean they have bumper crops what does the price of that crop turn to and will it be enough to one pay back their loan two to pay on their land and their taxes three, to take care of any maintenance, and, and, and four, take care of their family, right? So this is like a revolving thing that they got to do again the following year and asking for a loan. And if they didn't pay off their loan, how does that get tacked onto their next loan or if they even get one? So, and I mean, and you're just talking about generalizing a farmer. Now imagine a black farmer asking mm -hmm. for a loan. Yeah. And a black farmer having to go through the situation of trying to sell their crops and, and whatnot. And just just generational, just gen institutionalized racism throughout what was happening with farmers, USDA, government, ownership of land, where they're located at. And it's just it's stressful. It, it, it's really stressful. And, uh, you know, we're hoping to kind of bring the light on that, but also celebrate our black farmers. Yes. And really try to kind of grasp and understand their traditions and legacy and through storytelling, through showing us how do you, how do you grow, you know, cowpeas, you know, is it on a Wednesday you plant, what does it, you know, what almanac are you using or do you have your own almanac? Is this something that's just been passed down by generation and generation? We want to have an understanding of that, but also, what does this food turn into? These food turn into ingredients. And so having understanding like economically how this works, how can we create successful black farmers? So if people are interested that they're not just getting into it and going through all that red tape without having some type of mentorship or some type of leadership that will help them get through becoming a, a, a successful farmer. And if you feel comfortable talking about it, um, is there mental health support uh, offered for farmers as well? Because I know it is a it is a profession that has uh, stresses of of all kinds. That there is an incredibly high uh, suicide rate uh, driven by economics often, and I know you know, and also that there is a lot of trauma associated with farming, especially for Black farmers. Uh, have, are, are there resources? that you found that people are, are using or can be offered to them? And you you have brought up something that you're not the first person that have asked me this. And it really depends on where you're located at um, most of the time, if they have some type of local or a larger area of organization. A lot of people are just tapping into this because, you know, numbers are coming out in the rise of suicide from farmers, especially in this past year. Yeah. So, you know, we're still grasping and understanding of of one of like how severe this is, but um, also trying to understand where that help is, right? And that's even when we looked at uh, chefs too in a high suicide rate yep. um, in the kitchen, you know, and um, and what is causing that, you know, and a lot of it has been more on the farmer side has been more of the economics, right? Of not being they they put their livelihood into this farming, and what happened between COVID or the loss of or the loss of their land and their livelihood or their generational livelihood, we're seeing that high suicide rate. So there is, you know, there is a huge need for more for more um, support 
for the mental situations of what farmers have to go through um, because it, it, it is important. It, it is, should be really in the forefront of a lot of the things that we are talking about today. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll drop some links in the show notes uh, to this. It's, it's something I tried to get a grant to write about this like 10 years ago and, and I wasn't able to do it and didn't have the reporting resources to do it, but it is, you know, a real thing. And I hadn't, you know, I, you know, know about the, the chef part of it and stuff, but I, you know, I'd seen the rates also rising, um, like you said, with, with COVID and, I mean, there's there's going to be so much this period of recovery and healing that is is going to be coming up. I don't think the the country is prepared for the tidal wave of mental health issues that are kind of come out of all of this. Oh, absolutely not. And you know, I'm going to put my planner hat on for a moment, please. <laughs> and I, and, folks um, listening, she is an actual city planner in addition <laughs> to all of these other things. <laughs> So, you know, putting my planner hat on for a moment, um, I just remember, and I always, always say this to myself, when we have large events that have happened nationally, we kind of lead towards a regret, you know, we regress and we have a recession. And, you know, and it usually happens after a large event between five to eight years after that event. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you can look at 2008, 2010, what was happening, um, you know, and then, and then you look at, um, you look at now, and I never take it from COVID. I take it from when Trump went into office. Sorry. So I take it from when Trump (laughs) Trump has went into office and it's, you know, I cross my fingers that we don't go into a recession, but a lot of things happen. Restaurants close, farmers, you know, farmers lose out. And and it's just trying to really understand this economics. And I think we, we should kind of dwindle it down to talk about I'm talking about small farms and medium-sized farm economics um, and the need of support right now for them um, because they have probably lost a whole lot of money um, and they have lost opportunities that from restaurants or connections that they were working with that were no longer open due to COVID. So there's a whole nother way that we need to kind of reevaluate that economics in the future of what agriculture is and how do we create these successful farmers again? Yeah, I've, you know, I definitely found myself buying more directly from farmers. And, you know, I I live in Brooklyn, but my husband, you know, 25 years ago, bought a place in upstate New York, and and not just like Hudson Valley, but like up in an agricultural county uh, up there. And, you know, we you know, I've gotten to know folks there and the toll it has taken is you're, the thing that always gets me is you're at the toll of the, you're at the mercy of the weather uh, all right. the time. And, and, uh, you know, the uh, nature, uh, you know, nature, human nature, <laughs> economy, all of these kind of things. It's such a vulnerable position to be in. And I think that the pandemic has laid bare all of these supply chain issues that have been maybe not so great for the farmers this whole time, but also opened up connections directly between consumers and farmers. Have you seen uh, some of that around where you are? Are people buying directly from farmers? And I was going to bring that up because that's some of the most exciting things that we've seen. So, you know, first of all, our food chain supply is pretty much broken, right? It's such a mess. Oh my God. The links were already falling apart. And I believe 
Um, it's not as strong as the scarf you made. I believe you made a scarf. I, I may have made a chainmail <laughs> scarf during this. It, it was nowhere as strong as that. See, I, <laughs> I, I pay attention, and and I will tell you that we were we were our links were already falling apart yeah. before COVID, and during COVID, this was like one of. The first couple months, this was like the top conversation about a food chain supply because people are going to the grocery store and there was absolutely nothing on the shelves. And when I'm talking about like nothing on the shelves, mm-hmm. I mean absolutely nothing, bare. And when it was so interesting, when I would go to my grocery store, we would still have like fruits and vegetables and things on the shelves. But the the thing was to me was how long was that going to be alive, right? Like how long were that, that salad, how long were those apples and such were going to survive. And the interesting part was what I was watching happen, and I'm putting the planner hat back on because I observe, is I was watching, especially in my state, the consumer getting connected with the farmers through through yeah. more social media. So the fact that farmers had to be savvy enough to to be able to be online and Facebook groups were developing. I jumped into like Wisconsin Direct and I was like the 256th person in there. And by like the end of the week, it was like 20,000. Wow. It was crazy. And it was literally very simple. A farmer just stated where they were from, what they had available, when it was going to going to the butcher or when it was going to be processed and how many they had. And they were like, if you want this, please contact me. Here's the information and, and we'll set it up. And I mean, it was so easy. It was so clear. I was just like, wow, we're doing virtual farmer's markets. And, and what was so interesting is you were getting to know the farmer because the farmer was like telling about their family and telling how long they've been doing this and, um, and how much love they had for this. And, and then it was, this is what we have, you know? And so they were literally selling themselves and selling their farm to get the consumer. And it was working so greatly. It was like so diverse. And I think that's what probably saved a lot of farms or at least made them, you know, sustainable for a moment is that they were directly connected to the consumer. Oh my, yes. And through farmer's markets, through online has been such a godsend uh, for for so much of this. And I mean, we're living our, you know, so much of our lives online right now. And, and by the way, I didn't mean to slag off the Hudson Valley in terms of it being agricultural because they're incredible farms and, and okay. all of that. It's just like people assume like if you're coming out from Brooklyn, that's as far up as you go. <laughs> so do not mean farmers of Hudson Valley, you're absolutely incredible. And, and I think they've been able to sell directly to a lot of consumers consumers um there as well and i went to school in hudson valley too so i know that that is all there i'm just there's a perception um that's i mean it it is really i've i've started really you know buying directly from folks as much as possible both, both you know people who i already knew and then trying to you know develop some new relationships with that or you know, so many of those other systems are happening too. Now in New York, you can buy directly from Baldor, which is a huge like restaurant supply thing and who never delivered to homes before. And now you can do that. Right. And that was interesting too, watching our, our, you know, our vendors trying to figure out what to do because restaurants shot down. Right. So they had all this product and we Mm -hmm. watched some, we watched some vendors, it went to waste and throw it away. We watched some vendors give to our hunger task force. We watched, you know, some vendors that were like, we're just going to go into the middle of the community and say, 
hey, we'll be here, we'll have products, or you're able to order from us offline. And I think, you know, changing your demographics is what you kind of had to do, or you had to broaden your demographics more to grab that consumer to be able to survive during this time. And that that person-to-person connection doesn't go away. Like once you know, it's such a, it's such a fantastic thing. And I know that, you know, it had, it had sort of been seen as precious on menus for a a while. Like, oh, this comes from this and this part. Like people were sort of made jokes about it, you know, talked about Portlandia and stuff. I always want to know where the stuff comes from. I want to know who farmed it. I want to know who the human beings are behind it. It just tastes better. It's, you just feel better. Well, I thought it was always interesting. I really think, you know, we need to get away from doing like farm to table. And the reason why I say that <laughs> is because your food is coming from some type of farm, right? We don't, it, either it's big commercial farming a lot of the times, or it's coming from a farmer. I think we need to normalize it and really realize that someone's touching your food, right? <laughs> yes. It's going into the ground. It's coming, it's coming out. The appreciation is if you can understand where the source is from and understand the pride that the farmer takes to get food to your table. They're one of the most important people. That's how we're surviving right now. So, you know, making sure that the farmer is a part of the situation, um, especially when it comes to our restaurants, you know, we stepped up with, you know, doing farmer to the table. So having events at night, so the farmer could be there at the event to talk about his product. He he has a, a, a room full of people that want to know about his product and know about his goods and how they can connect to buy them. So, you know, supporting that farmer. Yeah. And let's talk about you also put on your other hat, please. Your, 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 your chef's toque, your, your, your bandana, your chef's toque, whatever it is that you're wearing in the kitchen. Usually a head wrap. Okay. Right. I've seen the pictures and you look phenomenal in them. And, And you are like, so you're wearing that hat too. This can't have been easy. You're a restaurateur. <laughs> yeah, it, you know, it, it hasn't been easy. And uh, you oh know, my and god! I, and, and I can't tell people it has been easy because you know, our restaurant we looked at it as a community impact space. So we need the community to survive. I mean, all restaurants need their community to survive. You know, to figure out if you are a destination or a location. You, you, the way that we ended up surviving was because of our community, right? We stuck around because they worried about us. They came to us. They were wondering if there's anything they can do. People were automatically ordering every day at a certain time. People came and they just, it was so interesting. People just came and just dropped off money. We had people come and give buy gift cards and put it directly back into my name because they were like, we need you. We need you to be here. And I found that to be, you know, I literally cried a couple times because that's what I wanted. I wanted to become the part of the community, right? I just didn't want to be a place where you ate. I wanted you to know who we were, who our staff was, what our, what our restaurant stood for, and that people saw and, and considered us important part of their community. And we're only four years old. So how did you happen to get started there in that particular place as a woman from Texas? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I ended up, um, well, I I came up here to um, look at an opportunity to work on revitalization 
directly on this block, the 1200 block of Caledonia Street. And, and which hat middle, were you wearing at that particular point? Is that your planner hat, your chef that hat? That was your... my planner hat. That was my okay. planner hat at the time. <laughs> and, um, and what happened was, is I had a meeting in a building and it was, a, they said that there's a meeting at 7 a.m. at a cafe. Would you like to meet us there? And I was like, oh, great. I'm going to need like a muffin and a <laughs> Something that's going to wake me up, right? Not coffee. We've Not stopped. coffee. Not coffee. But I came to this meeting, and we were sitting down, and I was like, you know, it's a small town. It wasn't open yet. So I was like, oh, the cafe's not open yet. Oh, it's okay. And so I'm sitting there and I'm sitting next to people and I kind of just look over and I whisper, when is this place going to open? Because <laughs> I'm dying, you know? I'm like, I'm, I'm really dying. I'm like, when is this going to open? And they kept saying, oh, it's closed. And I was like, yeah, but when is it going to open? And they were like, no, it's been closed. Oh. And what, what ironically was happening is that the restaurant just looked like somebody turned the lights off the night before and closed the door but nonsense to me the restaurant had been closed for over a year oh so goodness. there were tables and chairs glass work i mean everything you can think of was still here it looked like a physical restaurant and the owner of the building was there and two and two came together that one my family and i were looking to slow down we were in austin texas um you know, Texas was growing really fast and rapidly population wise and Austin was out of control. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You know, sitting two hours in your car is just ridiculous just to go to the grocery store or just to get home on a daily basis. You lose so much time. We were looking to really slow down and, um, I was doing a lot of work where I was traveling and seeing different cities. And so we thought, well, hell, if you're meeting with the city planner, the mayors and such, you would interview the town. So why don't we just interview these areas and see if there's an interest to want to move here? And, you know, there was a lot of hats happening right there because I was already a I already had a bakery and doing wholesale in Austin. And this was an opportunity to do brick and mortar. And me and brick and mortar was never crossed my mind, mm. but also it allowed me to, to mix my careers together, um, to talk about community outreach, to talk about what a space could really be if it's, if it's a restaurant and what kind of community space this really could look like. And, um, I think we achieved it. <laughs> well, let's, can we talk about this? Cause I've been talking with more chefs, you know, sort of during this and reevaluating how their restaurants are, or if they are in the process of building um, something new, how it can be. And it keeps coming back to the notion of a community space, of a co-op, of a, you know, something that is a hybrid that is, you know, maybe a restaurant and a grocery store, maybe a, a, a something. It seems, feels like you had some of that baked in from the beginning. You know, it was, it was, had always been from the beginning because we found out that, you know, one, our street was like 33% occupied when we moved in and oh, within, wow. within the year, it was a hundred percent occupied wow. and, it, and it was a lot to do with community outreach. We asked, so before we opened our doors, um, planner hat on again, before we opened our doors, I invited, uh, planning professionals of friends of mine to come in from economics, public arts, uh, public spaces to come in and to help the community find their voice, right? 
um, it was a, it was a, it's a part of the area that was really not getting a lot of love. And so I, we asked them, what did you want? So four days, you know, we spent four days just asking the community what they want. We closed the street down. We worked with the city, closed the street down. We had, you know, dinner in the street. Uh, we had other businesses come out, you know, show what their business was, gave things away, kids running, music, free music, just talking about what does this area need? What are they looking for? What what do they want out of this area? And we created a comprehensive plan and we took it to the city and said, here you go. This is what our area wants. This is what our area needs. And what did you find that they were in need and want of? Well, you know, this area is not more, it's a little bit of a sleepy town area. We had a lot of three generation businesses in this area, but they needed more things. We didn't have really a close grocery store. We didn't have beautification. They want trees, light poles painted, garbage cans painted. They wanted more activities that were happen on this side of town. And with that type of push and what we were showing, it became contagious, right? Um, we had we had planters that hadn't had plants in them for, I don't know, for how long. I, so I was like, well, I'm going to plant some plants in one, you know? And so I, like, extravagantly planted, like, all these vegetables in the garden. And then the city took notice and said, okay, we need to start planting the planters again, you know? So it ended up being very contagious opportunity for people to get involved. We saw people that were like, things are happening on this side of town. So people were buying buildings or people were like, I want my business over there because we were like doing larger support for businesses to be in this area. And so we had a more women owned businesses coming in this area because they saw the opportunity, but they saw the camaraderie that everybody coming together. And so for, you know, for us, we found that being successful, right? We found um, working with the businesses next door, we have an antique store next door. Um, as we were getting more people here, we were having longer waits. We were like, well, we are gonna change our waiting system, so we'll text people. We started, our staff started telling people about the different businesses on the streets that they can go see, and we're like, we'll text you when your table's open. So that ended up bringing more money to the businesses on the street not just us. I just, I love, it feels so holistic. I mean, like I, a know, real community. Yeah. That's the way it was because it, it was never about us. Right. It's like, I could be as popular as I wanted to be and I could, you know, try to push myself as hard, but it's always back to where I am and what's happening here and how are we surviving as a, as a whole versus just how am I surviving? I mean, I really love going to like smaller cities that are, you know, maybe the, you know, the downtown had been forgotten about for a while or something and, and there is energy coming in into them. And it's just such a special thing to see. And restaurants are always leading the, the way. And I'm thinking about like the downtown of like Richmond, Virginia or Durham, North Carolina, or even I, you know, I grew up in Northern Kentucky, but right across the river from Cincinnati and that downtown, there just wasn't much going on for a long time. And then I went back for a wedding in the last couple of years and I was amazed and it was all leading with the restaurants. And it's crazy. Like, you know, cause where I'm located at, 
ironically, I am not in the downtown. And there you're an uptown. So far, uptown, yeah. So there's a huge push for the economics and, and the development of the downtown area. And the north side, which my town's kind of like north, north and south side, but the north side wasn't getting that much love. And when I, I think we just came in at the right moment to help our community to find their voice and kind of, you know, demand that we need to be seen too. And that um, it's not what people perceive what this side of town is like. And so we just showed them something different. And there's a lot of community leaders that stepped up between, you know, residential and organizations and businesses that stepped up and that they saw it too. And they, they took things even further than we did. We had a business sit there and say, well, you know, one of the ones that, one of the things that the community wanted was a bit, was a farmer's market because the farmer's markets were too far. Our grocery stores are not located. They're within a, they're within a, a mile and a mile and a half away from our area. Like if you wanted fresh vegetables, you had to go to the gas station for a, a piece of fruit or a piece of meat. If you, if you didn't have a car and you didn't want to go a mile and a half. So he took, he took it on upon himself. That business took it upon himself to try to organize and get a farmer's market here. And it was very successful farmer's market. Uh, and I mean, for me, heck, yeah, it, it was like I could cross the street and talk to the farmers, you know, <laughs> on a weekly basis when everybody's asking me, what's the soup, you know? And I'm like, I don't know yet. Let's go. To the <laughs> you know, so this, this was a great opportunity that, you know, it was a community that worked together, right? That to work together to get things done. It wasn't just me hustling and bustling to do things. It was the community and as a whole, saw things that were missing and decided to take it up on their own and and develop um you know develop a, a better community for itself i'm always so tickled when i see people in in uh chef aprons and, and stuff at the farmers market <laughs> i figure like they're doing exactly that math like what is going to happen today Oh yeah, it's and it's so much fun. I always tell myself I'm so spoiled because I could just run across the street, and you know, and I'm like, I'm gonna take that, 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 you know, <laughs> and, and then I'm gonna get my dolly or whatever, and I'm like rolling, I'm rolling it back, or I'm like two or three trips, and I mean, it it, it was across the street for me, so I could look <laughs> out the window and be like, yep, I'm gonna go over there, and it, and it's just that to watch the neighborhood come alive and come out and walk, and kids come out and walk, and 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 get products that they need and ingredients that they need and ask questions, ask us questions. Like, how did you make that sauce? And, and I'm like, I went across the street and, I, you know, <laughs> you need to talk to this farmer and this is what they have. And, you know, and it, it was just, it's a great feeling, you know, and we work with farmers and my most exciting thing is, is when a farmer walks in, you know, I will drop everything I'm doing to talk to that farmer because that farmer took time to come off his land and to stop plowing, to stop working 24-7 to come in yeah. to meet me and just to have that conversation with them, to work out that deal, to look at opportunities to how we can change our menu or how he, they're going to plant something for us this year is so exciting because, you know, I'm able to come back to our 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 community and say, this was grown specifically for you. Oh, that's so personal and that's so beautiful. And it, t tonight I was actually thinking, this is so, this is so silly, but like I, uh, tonight I'm going to eat some collard greens that I grew like in my kitchen. <laughs> and oh, wow. 
Yeah, I, I, uh, I, I, you know, in in warmer weather, I'm sort of an yeah, obsessive yeah. gardener, but uh, <laughs> but I, I started doing arrow gardens because uh, <laughs> I just always have to have something, and and I I just uh, like pulled them out today, and I was like, okay, I I always sort of laugh whenever I like whenever I cook something that I have personally grown, I'm like, this is from several feet away. And I can probably actually also tonight serve a squash that I grew a few months ago. And it's so, it's so crazy when you grow things on your own and, you know, and as a chef, um, I grew things before. Um, so I had a little bit of an urban garden when I lived in San Antonio, I had an aquaponics system in the back. Mm. We, bees we had chickens and then when we moved here that's like it was like cold it was like what how can you grow things what can you, <laughs> what can you do you know and you're and you're learning and so you know for you know for me to be able to go outside and pick and grow and herbs and dry you know I get I have a little bit more you know finesse because I'm like oh we can dry this we can ferment this oh we can have this for the winter we can do this and this and that and but it still leaves me wanting more right? It leaves me wanting to do more for our farmers. And so um, I question to myself if chefs should be doing more. And, you know, we do like zero waste, but I started thinking, should we be collecting seeds? Oh, yeah. I, I've, I've been talking to more and more chefs who are, are doing that as well, like sa- saving that and propagating and Right. And so I've been, so I tested out like the one bane of my existence is avocados. People love them. I love them too. In fact, I eat one almost every day, but the avocado seed, because I was just like, gosh, we, we go through so many and we're tossing them. So I took them home and I've never grown an avocado. Oh wait, I saw this on Instagram. I believe my mom, (laughs) my mom has never grown an avocado. Like I've watched the water. I've watched like wanted to see the grow and I took 40 seeds home my first my first time and I have 40 trees and you know and I I you know I don't know what I'm doing but I just was like you know oh great you know one I'm like one there's a plant you know I'm like oh my god I got one then when you get to about the 20th one I my husband's looking at me like where are they all going you know like where it's winter outside it's negative degrees where are all these going okay you're talking to a woman with 18 citrus trees in her home so uh, well i got citrus i got citrus down so i so i have two lemon trees i <gasps> i'm growing cardamom right Ooh. now i just i have a cinnamon tree a true true cinnamon um i have a peppercorn Oh, I'm growing peppercorn also. Hey, and then I'm growing a vanilla bean orchid right now. And then about like 40 something avocados. I, okay, you know, and a couple pepper trees, a couple pepper plants. I'm going to be embedding that, uh, that avocado. I think it was on your Instagram, but it was all these jars. (laughs) There was a lot of jars and I just, you know, and they have now gotten big enough. I had to put them in about between two to five gallon containers. And so I have trees and <laughs> I'm, I'm literally like pissed in the air. Like I've grown an avocado, but you know, I've grown an avocado tree and now it's like the process of, you know, they probably will be going South. <laughs> they are not going to make it here. Um, but the, this proves to me that one, I could be doing more as a chef. You know, I could be, we work with a lot of heirloom 
and it's an opportunity to 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 get those seeds and to either we're using them in the process or or we're taking them and we're you know getting making a seed a little bit of a seed bank and we're giving them away or or we're working back with the farmer again um i just think that you know as a chef we can just do a little bit more i know i'm asking for a lot but we'll just do a little bit more and that seed sharing is so beautiful and so important. And it's a way that like I've connected with people. I've kind of always done this. And especially over the past year, I started sending people over the last few years, okra seeds. Mm. Um, I have an okra obsession. I have a red heirloom okra tattooed on my arm. And it's just been this way to really connect with people. I send them seeds and they send me pictures of their garden or I have a, a good friend who I, I speak, I'm Gen X. I speak to no one on the phone and she's like <laughs> the one person who I will voluntarily like get on the phone and talk with. Shout out to Jamila Robinson. And, <laughs> and, and we, and I sent her some of the seeds and we, we stand in our gardens at, near our okra and talk on the phone. And it's just so nice to know that we're like, you know, speaking while, uh, you know, having grown the same thing. I think it's amazing. Like, you know, um, be able to grow and, then, and then share that growth. And this community is very well, um, giving free seeds away and working. I mean, social media does amazing things like working with and, and giving seeds away or giving plants or, or, um, seedlings away, um, to the community. It's just, it's fun to, connect to connect with them but it's also fun to grow it's good for your mental health it's it saved me so far <laughs> i i i will link to this piece too. my friend alex hardy wrote an incredible piece uh, about how all these house plants have been saving him uh during this and contributing to his joy in a difficult time and it's just he named all of them he lives among them it's such a beautiful <laughs> thing <laughs> but I want to get to, you said like some of the stuff is going south and things. Can we talk about what's happening um, in the south and what's happening where you're from right now? Oh, yeah, most definitely. Um, some craziness is happening right now from, oh, from, where, from where I'm from. Um, you know, I talk to several chefs um, on a weekly basis. Uh, I have not had a chance to talk to them about this, about what's been happening in the last day or so. Um, but I have been seeing by social media standpoint. So what we're talking about literally is like Texas is going to open up to a hundred percent with no mass mandate. I think what March 15th or something like that mm -hmm. or 10th. And, um, it's there's a lot of trauma that has happened in the last couple of weeks between they had a huge snowstorm that um no texan was really prepared no. for oh my god um you know and and i i spoke to a lot of people at the time because i am up here i'm a texan in the middle of freaking winter in the negatives and i was just like i said social media was so great i was able to list a lot of things of what people should be doing or what they should be preparing for staying in contact with some family members staying in contact with you know a lot of friends and making sure that they had water that they were filling their bathtub you know and, and i'm not even just talking about texas i went to the wave of mississippi because the storm mm -hmm. was heading that way and making sure that people were very prepared for what was going to happen. And I still own uh, a house down in Texas. And so, you know, making sure the, the water was turned off, making sure, you know, your pipes don't burst. These, these are things that as a Texan, we, 
we never had to prepare for. So, you know, climate change is happening, people. It's and, real. <laughs> it is real. And um, that effect uh, that was happening to restaurants um, was quite amazing to see how restaurants were able to you know, pull up their britches and pull up their cowboy boots. And they were literally like, we're going to feed the community. We had HEB was, HEB was a lifesaver and the grocery store. And yeah, HEB, the grocery store, I'm literally number one fan. Um, I've been, my fam, some of my family members have worked for HEB throughout their lives. Um, and I grew up with H-E-B. My kids kind of grew up with H-E-B. So they got, to, they got to know it. And the interesting thing is is how community-oriented H-E-B is. It goes back to being part of the community, that their, their employees are their, are their family members. And what we saw restaurants do when they got water, how they got water, feed the community from, you know, Aaron Franklin to Taval in Austin. One of our best new chefs. Yeah. Just stop everything they were doing to make food, to feed people for free, because this was a standpoint where people could not one travel. Some couldn't travel outside their house because of the amount of ice. And as, as, you know, planner ice on overpasses, don't do it. Mm -hmm. Just purpose roads. Um, But, the lack of water being found and the the lack of uh, supplies being given to have the opportunity to say, hey, I'm a chef. My refrigerator is full. Let me turn these burners on and make food for the people. It's just, you know, it's just being part of the community. It's just, it's just what we do, right? It's, it's what we do. We have a skill and we know we can, we can fulfill a need. We're going to fulfill that need. And right now, there's still some people in Texas that don't have water. There's still people in Austin that don't have water. There's a lot of these areas are BIPOC that still do not have access to water. Um, one of my chef friends just got access to water in Jackson, Mississippi today. So, you know, they've been what? Today would have been number day 16 without water for them. Jeez. So, you know, this severity of of understanding, you know, the the grid and why Texas is not on the grid to the point of them, the whole state and the government and federal government not being prepared for that. Mm-hmm. One is unexcusable, but two needs to really understand that what are these backup plans? What Where is the support when it's needed? And it's coming from the community, as you can see. It's coming from large companies like HEB down to uh, small restaurants that are feeding their community. Yeah, this was a failure of government. This was a failure of the system. And, you know, are there things that people who do not live there um, can do right now to help folks? Yeah, I mean, I'm, um, there are a lot of different funding opportunities to different foundations. Um, and I can probably send you a list of them. Um, I will link it up. Yeah, link it up because it's a, there's so many between I, I can tell you from Texas and to Mississippi that are still in need at this moment and um, the need of water, the need of food. And with COVID on top of that, that's Oof. just that's just, I couldn't, I can't fathom, you know, I, I couldn't fathom. I was like, I drive a truck 
I have a plow. I was like, do I need to go down to Texas? You know, I was, I was like, <laughs> Adrian to the rescue. Okay, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna make it. And they were like, by the time you get here, it's gonna be 78 degrees. You know, like, and it was, you know, it was like a flip of a the flip of a light switch. It, it was 80 degrees. And just imagine it's 80 degrees, but they're still suffering without water. So this is not lo- no longer a freeze issue and they don't have water. This is gonna be a hot issue and they don't have water. And you're watching their temperatures go from zero to 80 degrees. So um, it, it, it's, 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 I don't even have words, right? I don't even have words for, um, to, and can't even fathom what they're dealing with. But now with the announcement of no mask mandate <laughs> on, on, on top of this, that they're going to open the state back up at Texas, back up in Mississippi um, has followed in suit. I, I couldn't really fathom the mental stability of now our front of house staff with dealing with people that are not going to want to wear a mask to come and eat and and having to deal with the banter of going back and forth and and and, and their decision of deciding that their restaurant will still be mask up when you come in there or even if you're coming in for coffee versus you're coming to sit down and I know that stress level is going to be on 11 the entire time um, because everybody's going to be opening up. But ironically, this is this is this is towards spring break. And I just I just can't understand. Well, I mean, I can't understand. It's the economics. Right. So they're trying to open up. um, But we're still seeing CDC and CDC is saying slow your roll right you know i said it on my twitter i was like you know cdc says slow your roll texas says spring break you know (laughs) this this is um this is pretty much you know for me and thinking as an owner i think about my employees and you know and having a meeting with the employees to go what do you think about this do we go back to take out a curbside you know like what does this what does this take because it's not just opening up, you know, and COVID coming in or whatnot, I got to think about going home to my little ones. You've got, you've got little ones. And uh, yeah, it's, you know, I tell my husband, because like, you know, he leaves the house to go work and I have the extreme privilege of being able to work at home. But I was like, please be careful because I obviously I care about you. You're my biggest priority, but also like you're my conduit to the outside world and whatever happens to you happens to me in this case. (laughs) Right. And that's, that is exactly right. And so, you know, and my lucky enough, my husband and I, we we work together, but it's still like, I go home to little ones, you know, and my employees, they go home to their loved ones. They go home to their parents and we want to make sure that, you know, that they're safe. They're safe when they leave here, but also, you know, at home that they're safe. And so we become conscious with each other. You become a little bit more intimate than you really wanted to with your (laughs) employees and knowing what they do in their day-to-day lifestyle. But one thing is, is that it has brought us closer together and it has brought more respect in the kitchen, in the back of house, in the front of house with each other um, to really humanize us a lot more, to humanize us as chefs a lot more, um, to, to realize that we do have a life beyond the kitchen and it's worth saving. <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> you know, the, these, these things, you know, I, I think about on a constant role, especially thinking about what's happening in Texas. And, you know, I think about 
all my chef friends there and what they're going to have to 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 deal with and have to kind of figure out moving forward. It's oh my gosh. I mean, off the top of my head, I will say if folks are listening to this and they're in the restaurant industry and they're struggling. Southern Smoke uh, is amazing about writing grants for people in the restaurant industry in need. And uh, they're able to get funds pretty quickly. And I think, and I think, like you know, we've seen a lot of grants come up and come available. We've seen restaurants helping restaurants. We've seen community helping restaurants. And like I said, it all comes back to being part of the community. And and I've watched that happen over and over and over again. And COVID really proved it um, with restaurants, you know, that were not part of the community kind of went away. Some restaurants that were struggling, very difficult, they had difficult times. The, the community stepped up to help. Grants came forward. Cities came forward to help restaurants. You know, they weren't waiting for federal. <laughs> they weren't waiting for PPP. So cities stepped up and communities stepped up to help move forward, uh, to help these restaurants survive because they are part of the fabric of the community. Yeah. And in the midst of all of this, wearing all the hats you do, caring for all the people you do, you got a certification. Did you not? Oh, yeah. I had to do something. <laughs> everything oh my god <laughs> so what would you would you tell the people the little thing you achieved during this that is blows my mind every time i think about it oh my gosh i am a certified <laughs> professional sake person like it's a <laughs> every, every everybody's probably going what you know professional you, sake certification would you please explain this <laughs> Yeah, so I like sake. <laughs> Evidently. And, I, and, you know, I don't drink enough of it, but I have um, a true interest in sake. And it just happened to be another Black friend of mine has an interest in sake. And um, there was uh, or there is a certification that you can take to become a professional, uh, a sake professional, and which you it goes through the process of teaching you how to make sake to the point of understanding of how to taste sake. And let me tell you, that exam I would not wish on anybody. <laughs> Because it's like, it's everything, right? It's a different language. It is uh, regionally somewhere else. Um, so if you're not understanding the language, the characters are different, right? So, you know, the, the, the whole writing aspect is different and the culture is different. And so um, it is, yeah, it's not anything. The exam is nothing I would wish on anyone. But if you are interested in sake, there is a certification to become a professional sake, um, a sake professional um but to me it was uh, it was it was like <laughs> it was like uh you know you need to do something and this would be you know it's a little off the cuff it's not you know it's, it was stressful but it was it's not it's not an everyday thing so um for me the course was amazing um the course um is virtual right now but they do go to japan and uh you do go to a lot of breweries and um yeah it, it's it's something i have in my repertoire now that i can talk about sake i can pick sake out and um and i can drink some amazing sake 
oh my god in my head it's suck a or something like that it's like it should be like the title <laughs> the word that would be coining i mean but the a lot of the process was is, is understanding sake right and understanding the fermentation i love to ferment stuff and understanding the fermentation and so now i can go yeah i can make sake I can- why, do, why do i feel like by this point next year because you said that rice grows there that you're going to be like growing the rice fermenting the rice <laughs> and there's not any there, there's no black sake makers that i know of so if you yes. exist out i think there, the key word exist, there is yet. yeah yet yeah you know and i know there's some people that are interested and i'm like i'm super excited to see what comes of it um but yeah you know i'm very interested in making sake and and having now you know the 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 culinary background and the planning background and moving into you know rice grows up here and making some amazing sake would be quite fun i think oh my god you amaze me like this is just like such a like i I keep learning all these new things about you and it's it's I'm sorry, I just have the biggest smile on my face right now because I'm <laughs> like imagining your whole process of this and then the branding of it and, and all Oh my that. gosh, yes. I mean, I don't, don't get me started. So I'm just, <laughs> I, you know, sometimes you got to put it to the side because you got other things to do, but I always go back to it. And, and you know, and it's all, you know, and I don't even say it's a bucket list because I'm just like, I know I'm going to do that, right? So I know I'm going to want to do this. And I know, like I told myself when about probably like 10 years ago, that by the time I'm 45, I will learn to play the cello, you know, and COVID has like completely changed that. So now I'm going to learn how to play the cello right now. So, you know, I'm like, you, you need those, you need those happy moments, right? You absolutely, you have to make them for yourself. No one else is going to do that for you. You have to, you have to make them for yourself. And it does, you know, and it does take work, you know, like the, these socket classes are, are not easy. They're time consuming, but you have to take that time for yourself or do that self-care. And I know self-care was like a big word last year for a lot of people and the start of this year, but that's that self-care to, to broaden your interest and to learn more. Cause I'm always willing to learn something new. And um, for me, I mean, I think it keeps my mind sharp. It keeps me out of the mundane of, you know, on the line in the kitchen doing one process or coming in and knowing exactly what I need to do, but just allows me to expand my knowledge a little bit more and be happy. Yeah. And and knowing you, I'm sure you spread that too. And so I imagine all the people who work with you, like probably know a little bit about sake now. Um, they're very interested. <laughs> they're like, what, what, when did you do that? You know, and I'm just like, oh, my free time. <laughs> Oh God. <laughs> do, you, do you sleep? Do you yes. sleep? That's the number one question I get. Yes, I do. <laughs> okay. Just making sure I, uh, you know, I've been trying to work on that myself. I'm not so great. <laughs> it may but, not be like eight hours, but it, I do get some sleep. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's a thing where I've been trying to like work on my sleep hygiene and stuff. And I have like a my routine is a little bit better now. I sort of like do my little Welsh lessons and do some headspace meditation and try to wind down with that. You're doing self-care. You do, I, you do have Welsh stuff happening. What? You know, like, it's, oh, sometimes you make a chain mail scarf. Sometimes you learn Welsh. It's, <laughs> See, but you're, but you're, but you're like doing something for yourself, right? You're yeah. doing this self-care and you're allowing yourself to breathe and to make a new space in your world. And I, and for me, that's the one of the most exciting things because I literally tell people, I want 
my kid to tell stories to my grandchild that they won't believe that oh, I did. Yes. Like you want to be that grandmother. Yeah. I'm going to be that crazy grandma. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yes. I, want to, I want to be able to, I want them to run to me and be like, grandma, did you really do this? And I'm like, yes, I did. And I still do. You know, like I, I want to absorb as much as possible, but also I want my children to know that anything is possible too. I mean, for a black girl to learn sake, come on, you know, for a, a black girl in her her 30s to go and learn to play the cello, for, you know, a black girl to say, I'm going to get a freaking farm and we're going to do black legacy, you know, like, I I want them to know that anything is possible. You're such a good force in the universe. And I mean, this actually leads into a question that I always ask folks is, uh, you know, I see you doing all these things for the community. I think, you know, and I see, you you know, you do things for your family and stuff. What's the selfish thing that you want for you? Oh, oh my gosh. Uh, I want my toes in the sand right now. Wouldn't that be nice? I mean, for, for me, I, I, you know, I'm happy, you know, I, I just wish, I wish there was no racism, right? I wish that there was equality. I wish, you know, I wish I was able to, you know, go and do stuff and not be looked at twice because of my skin color, you know, Mm -hmm. like I, you know, or my gender too, you know, I, I wish, I wish the world was just a little easier, um, a little bit more forgiving, um, for people of color, um, and for, uh, for black girls, especially yeah. for black girls. And I know that's not being selfish, but you know, I, I, I literally get what I want me. Right. Cause I'm like, if I'm, I'm determined to get it, I'm going to get it. But, um, I just feel, you know, for, for me, I'm more of a giver and I want to give back and I want to help create these, you know, create these door openings, window openings, pathways for people and, and, and for girls that were like me that were told no when they were a kid, um, to be able to move forward into something. I want to be able to leave something behind or a legacy behind. Maybe that's my selfishness, um, to leave something behind for people to learn. And so, they don't have to go through the hurdles I went through, or maybe they'll be able to push even more and move further and help the next person. Yeah. I mean, I I really hope that your kids grow up just assuming that that's how it is because they saw you do it. Yeah. They're, yeah. My, my eldest is pretty, pretty much like that. It's kind of scary, but when you can, when you feel like, you know, when there's no boundaries, when there's, where there's no, there's no reason that there should be a no and you always asking why, or you're pushing forward into amazed to see that a kid could seize that, that, that capability that they, that they could do more or they can go further. It's amazing. It is amazing. I feel like I'm doing something right. You are. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just here to say you are. Okay. <laughs> do you mind if I ask you some questions that I ask everyone? Sure. Have you ever cried in the walk-in? No. Really? I've never cried in a walk-in. Oh my gosh. Have you yelled in (laughs) walk-in? 
No. Wow. I think you're the one person who never ever has. No, I'm I don't like the cold. Oh. <laughs> I'm from Texas. No, I don't like the cold. Um no, I've never I've never yelled in a walk-in and I've never cried in a walk-in. Wow. Okay, but you're blowing my mind because everybody like seems to do I that. I was I didn't even have to think about that. I was like, no, 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 I have <laughs> Okay, is there somewhere where if, if you're having a tough day that you can go and kind of let it out? Um, I you know what I I was like to say, but our 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 back of house environment's a lot different. But um, usually usually I go home. <laughs> okay, nice. <laughs> I go I go I usually go home. It's like you know whatever happened that day, you know it happened, and I I usually go home and I relax. Oh, that's a lovely thing. And actually, I'll get to that in a second about asking what you do to relax. But what is your favorite comfort food? Oh, um, well, you know, sometimes when you're working really hard, you end up eating cereal. But... <laughs> people think chefs have this like glamorous thing like no (laughs) they sure do they think um but you know um my favorite comfort food is really a peanut butter and jelly sandwich (laughs) okay talk to me about the jelly on this like what is the peanut butter what's the jelly what's the bread i am such a weird you know like i'm like a weird mom i was the mom that made the jelly for the kid you know Uh, because of course yeah (laughs) Uh, of course, it depends on the season, you know, between apricot or um, cor- Concord grapes grow here. So I have a wow. lot of Concord grapes. Uh, I have like, I feel like I'm back with my pigtails. So mm-hmm. I've been eating a lot of Concord grape uh, PBJs um, and strawberries, you know, just I keep it really simple. Um, it just depends on what I preserved and what I have. I have peaches, whatnot um peanut butter peanuts grow here too mind you i've been growing peanuts in brooklyn (laughs) yeah peanuts peanuts grow here too so making my own peanut butter sometimes almond butter i'm lactose intolerant so usually my cereals either dry or with almond milk so you know um my comfort food is that but like if i'm like home with my mom or home with my my nana tea cakes and um there's a pound cake recipe sour cream pound cake from my Mm. nana is like my comfort jam oh that's beautiful what is the last meal that that you had that made you emotional um mm, i had (laughs) i'm laughing but um my husband had to go down to texas and um with a lot of planning between my best friend, him, and another friend, he was able to grab sausage from mm. Schmitty's in Lockhart, Texas. Yes. And brought me a box full of, of sausage links. And I opened that box and the smell took me back to being a kid and having 50 cent pieces and eating at that restaurant with my family and visiting family. And I, and I think that homesick feeling came because, you know, having been able to go home for over a year now and see my family members or, you know, be in that culture and that food really struck home. So struck me really hard. 
Oof, I'm glad you got to have that experience, though. It's really powerful yeah, to have. Just the love, you know, the love that it took for that to get to me. Yeah. Um, since they do not ship, they don't ship. So if y'all look it up, they don't ship and you have to pay cash. So this is so old fashioned, right? So um, just that the way that they went through the trouble to do that. I mean, that built the emotion in it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. What, what is the restaurant meal that you cannot wait to have again? Oh my gosh. Um, I, ooh, I, I love to travel. <laughs> I miss it. I miss it so much. <laughs> I travel for food. Like I, I literally will travel for food. Um, I, it will be me going back home. Right. And, um, there is, there's a restaurant called Blanco Cafe in San Antonio, Texas. And I grew up there eating that food, um, weekly basis. My mom ate that food when she was pregnant with me. She craved it. I craved it with my first kid. Um, I introduced my husband to it, many, many friends, and I've known the family for over 30 years. So, um, that is probably their dishes are probably like home to me that I really want to sit down and eat. Um, I also would like a nice steak and frites with a nice glass of wine. Oh my God. And a yes. Great view. <laughs> so that's another thing that I just, I, I really would love right, right now too. <laughs> oh, I want this for you. I want it so badly for you and for me too, but more important, you can... what living musician would you want to cook for and what would you make for them? Oh my gosh, man, this is so good. <laughs> um, I am, I'm in, oh man, I'm in going back into all my music repertoire right now. And right now I'm into her. Um, She's so amazing. She is so, yeah, I, I see. I was listening to her a long time ago and then she has just is mind blowing. Right. So she's playing some mind blowing music. Her vocals are amazing. Um, I would love to cook for her. Just, just, just her, her. Yeah. Yeah. What, what, what would you make her? <laughs> oh my, oh my gosh. It, I mean, it would definitely be a talk. So I definitely would have to talk to her figure out her likes, find out her allergies, if there's any <laughs> you know, like I'm being a chef, right? So like, right. you know, and figuring out because, you know, I love to make food off of storytelling and really have an understanding of people's likes and their experiences. And then, you know, be able to bring that to a plate. Oh, I love it. Hey, her, if you are listening, <laughs> please head to Eau Claire. <laughs> a really good meal is going to be waiting for you. And I have a final question. Yes, ma'am. And this wraps into, you were talking about relaxing and stuff. Say you have five uninterrupted minutes. The, the restaurant's fine. The kids are cool. Like there's nobody bugging you on your phone. What do you do to relax and take care of yourself? Yeah. Five, just like five. Un yeah. The quick thing. What is that thing you do? Um, I carry around notebooks like moleskins. Mm -hmm. And I will like write in there and it's usually like ideas 
you know, processes that your processes that I'm working on or something I'm interested in. So one, I don't forget because I got five minutes, right? And there's like a thousand things that are happening at once. So it's always been like, got to write that idea down, right? Jot that down, write that memory down. I wake up in the middle of the night, I write something down. So um, that's security to me also, you know, that I'm, that I'm still having imagination and I'm still um, moving forward. And so that's probably what I would be doing at five minutes. And I figure you're probably particular about your pens. What is the pen with that? Oh my gosh. Yes, I am. Particular. I, I, <laughs> oh, I knew you gosh, How did you know this? Um, I am really particular about pens. I like a very, very fine tip pen, usually a 0.5. Um, right now I have a couple that I'm working with, usually a Uniball. Um, I work with the old school Uniball pens. And then I do have a fat Sharpie just in case something that, that needs to be really like, <laughs> uh, you know, to really bring out. And then I have a highlighter and then I have a red fine tip pen. <laughs> yeah, I'm particular. Somehow I knew you'd have a whole buffet. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the architecture too. So, I mean, I do work with a lot of different pens. Because <laughs> not just writing, I mean, drawing. I'm like literally making like charts and diagrams to like show, sometimes show how a recipe breaks down. Woman of many hats, woman of many pens. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And if people wanted to find you and follow you, we will have all the links. But if you want to shout out, I, we'll have a link to 40 Acres and, and the cafe and your socials and stuff. Uh, but where do people find you? Yeah, um, if you're wanting to be a part of my crazy world that I, <laughs> that I have invented. <laughs> Highly recommended. Yeah. Um, you can follow me on Instagram. I'm 80 underscore eats. So 80 eats. Um, if you are wanting to find more out about 40 acres, you can look at, um, where an IG on 40 acres, um, excuse me, 40 acres project. Um, and if you want to follow us on Twitter, it's 40 acre project too. And then, you know, and then the restaurant is Uptown Cafe. You can find us at Uptown Cafe on IG or UptownCafe.com if you're wanting to find out more information. Oh, thank you so much for your time. You have made my day so much sunnier. Oh my gosh, I haven't laughed this much. In a while, <laughs> so I'm I'm super happy. And you know, as soon as I get off the phone with you, I am dropping off meals to the boys yeah. and girls club. So we yeah. some amazing stuff. Thank you so much to our guest today, Adrian Lipscomb. She. She's such a phenomenal human being, and my battery was running down while we were talking, so I thanked her after the fact for uh, when my mother died this summer. We hadn't met before, and actually this podcast was the first time we were actually speaking. Still, she reached out to me via Facebook Messenger and said, hey, if you need someone to talk to, here's my number. That's That's the kind of person... Adrian is. And if you've listened to this podcast, you know that, that she just wants to take care of the world, all the people around her. And uh, even if you're a, a stranger, 
um, she still is there to feed you body, mind, and soul. So thank you so much, Adrian. Please go and check out the 40 Acres and a Mule project along with everything else Adrian is doing and um, it's, it's going to change the world. So like I said up top, this is part of Food and Wine Pro, which is the part of Food and Wine uh, online and in a magazine and someday again soon in events where we really focus on the people like Adrian who make this such a wonderful industry. And, uh, you know, we want to tell the stories of what people are going through, figure out ways to help them, and just let people know that they are not alone and uh, there are resources out there for them. So you can get to Food & Wine Pro by going to foodandwine.com fwpro and you can find all of the stories or you can also, while you're there, sign up for the Food & Wine Pro newsletter that shows up in your inbox on Friday or sometimes Saturday if we don't have our stuff together. But it's there with words of wisdom from our editor-in-chief, Hunter Lewis, and backed with a, some words uh, from Osette Babur, who is kind enough and wonderful enough to get together all of the news you need to know for the week in the restaurant sphere from, our, from us and from other publications. You can always find the latest Food and Wine Communal Table podcast in there as well. And a mantra from Kelsey Youngman. More on that in a sec. I want to thank our fantastic producer, Antara Sinha, who is so patient with me every week. Uh, I hand her a pile of spaghetti and she hands me back an audio plated dish. So thank you so much uh, to her and to Sarah Crowder who gets together the images for uh, the online part of this. Uh, both of you, I am so, so lucky to work with you. And thank you to Douglas Wagner, my husband, for that super jaunty theme song. Um, tickles me every time I hear it. Uh, and. If you liked listening to it and you want to hear more, please subscribe on whatever podcast feed you're listening to this through, share it with friends, leave those stars and those comments because that really helps people find us and lets us keep doing this thing that we love to do. And also if there's somebody who you think we should be talking to or want to suggest a topic for you know future episode, pretty easy to find. I'm Kitten with Whip on Twitter or cat.kinsman at foodandwine.com. Please reach out. And I mentioned Kelsey before. Uh, Kelsey is in our test kitchen. She's an incredible food editor. And moreover, she is a certified meditation instructor. And every morning at every Monday morning at our full team meeting, she shares a mantra for the week to uh, just put us in a great headspace to do wonderful work that week and to take care of ourselves. And we are sharing that with you now. Take it away, Kelsey. Hello, this is Kelsey, the associate food editor here with another mantra for the week. Happy, sad, both and. Let's let go of the binary and choose to hold more than one thing at once. We can, and honestly most often are, both sad and happy, both joyful and remorseful, both angry and grateful, all at once. Deeply feeling one emotional state simply does not negate the others. It can feel deceptively simpler to hold on to an either-or, a choice of being urgently sad or distraught or angry at any one moment. 
And when bits of joy or laughter break in, we can dismiss them for being too small or even feel shame for feeling joy at all. I'd encourage us to treat ourselves with a bit more equanimity, to recognize that we all hold so very much at once. A moment of joy does not detract from the seriousness of our outrage, and we can often only harness that anger because of the space joy brings. Let's let them both in. Happy, sad, both and. Have a beautiful week.